time Looking back at what you've made of yourself It's the line that reaches in Hey guys, so it is now October 13th Aiden and Nora, I just talked to you guys via FaceTime when I was at the Devil's Tower in uh, South Dakota. Pretty cool, like I told you, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Good movie, must see it sometime. And now I am driving, and I am driving through what I must admit, it truly is God's country. This is blowing me away, and it's like every time you, you know, you're kind of curving, doing about 80 miles per hour, road goes on forever and it's like sort of like mountains but they're like very tan you know no greenery really minimal but every time you get up as you kind of come up you don't see what's on the next other side and then it's like another beautiful reveal here i am day seven on this trip and uh the weather has been absolutely gorgeous 60s-ish, lower, low low 60s, high 50s. Colder at night for sure, but sun out every day. Blessed, blessed, blessed. So as I was going through Wyoming, I got to connect with an old friend of mine, Kayla, who used to work for NYC and company in the city and been involved with a couple different conferences together. So she had moved out to Wyoming and just worked out perfectly. I got to see her and obviously hear some more about the local terrain. From there, I was off and on to, gosh, yeah, Yellowstone. Yeah, and I also, I forgot to mention, becoming very intrigued with cow grazing migration. As I travel through these lands there's cows everywhere left and right and they're just out there and there's clicks amongst them but they all just grazing chilling but then when it's time to start heading back they all sort of follow each other and I guess there's leaders I don't know if they're in the front back middle how that works they're like more beautiful than any cows that I've seen in my years they're like the black is just rich black and the brown is rich brown and i guess that's the beauty of sort of uh what are they call grass-fed cows maybe but yeah that's all natural and i'm sure that's where the best beef is coming from <laughs> all right ciao I left Wyoming uh, yesterday and drove, and to get to uh, where I am now in Idaho, I had to drive over uh, Big Sur Mountain, Big Horn, to get to Yellowstone. And, oh my God, I not that I thought I was gonna die, but definitely thought there was a possibility there because as I was driving up Big Sur, the mountain, snow started, it was sprinkling, and then as I would go higher, it was getting harder. And then as I was getting higher i noticed the roads are now snowy and the snow's coming down and i'm thinking i'm about to get caught in a, in a serious storm and uh when i get to the top and it is a decent snowstorm i see that the rest is downhill which is a little scary in the snow but i just drove slow but within within an hour it's back to being sunny again and like 50 degrees where at the top of the mountain it was like 22 degrees so from there I went there was another mountain Bighorn covered that 
and then went through Yellowstone. Oh my God, guys. It's just the most beautiful piece of earth. The whole ride actually, between the cavernous high walls, the mountains, the snow-capped mountains. And then when you're in Yellowstone, I'm seeing buffalo, I'm seeing a moose, deer galore. I did not see a bear though. There's also the geysers, right? And everyone's always talking about Old Faithful. But the way I drove from Wyoming, instead of going around through Montana, I literally went right through Yellowstone. I got to see the geysers and the place reeked. Honestly, after a little while being outside, I couldn't get in my car quick enough. So today I was thinking about going to see Old Faithful, but you know what? Seeing one geyser, seen them all. So I am now uh, driving en route to Spokane, Washington. I've been saying Spokane the whole time and grandma told me I, I, I gotta say it right. And Spokane is supposedly the right way. So Spokane and to get there, it's about a seven hour drive from Idaho. And I'm gonna, my goal is to uh, get to Missoula, Missoula, Montana, which I don't know, maybe sort of a halfway point. I'll get a bite to eat there and then if all goes according to plan, I should pull into Spokane by eight, nine o'clock tonight. I do try to avoid driving at night as I would suggest you do too, because things just get much more confusing. And with deers and what have you, all over the place it makes for less drama to reserve your driving for the day so here i am in, in missoula i reached out to an old friend of mine left my voicemail and didn't hear back and i of course i heard from right in the nick of time it's about i don't know about 40 minutes from here i went over to visit him and his name is priest very long story short is once upon a time priest saved my life I reached out. I had actually gotten his number from a, a mutual friend because I haven't seen him in about 35 years. We connected and I drove to his place. I got to meet his beautiful wife and his son. So the story goes back, I want to say probably you know, late 80s. Me, Mommy, and her friend Debbie had gone to this uh, New Year's Eve party at a, a local pub. And I'd say around, you know, two, three in the morning, we uh, went back to the hotel that I used to work at behind Bulletproof Glass. <laughs> so I had gotten a room for that night so the three of us could uh, crash after our, our big New Year's Eve blast. And so we walked back to the hotel and it's got one building on one side, one building on another, and a big parking lot in between. We go into the building with the office. I see my buddy behind the bulletproof glass, and he gives me the key. As the three of us are walking out of that office area, there's a couple teenagers hanging around the, the Christmas tree, and they're, like, picking up the gifts. And so as we walk out, I say, with my worker's mind, I guess, don't even bother. They're fake gifts or something like that. And so we walk out of the, the office building, and I'm about 10 steps out, and out of nowhere, boom! I get punched right in the side of the face and I turn around trying to figure out and what happened. And, and this guy's like, why you, you know, why'd you diss me, man? I square up to fight him. And as we're kind of getting in this mode of ready to brawl, one, two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 teenagers come out of nowhere like roaches. 
and now there's a big circle. They're standing on top of the cars, and it's me and this dude about to go. And I'm thinking, even if I beat this guy, I am going to get destroyed by everyone else. And no sooner can I think through what the hell is going on than this car pulls up. And I look over, and it's Priest. <laughs> I think he says, Fitz, what's going on? I'm like, Priest, I, you know, I just got jumped or something. Whatever I said, I don't know. And <laughs> he looks out his window with these Clint Eastwood eyes, opens his door, gets out, goes to the back of his car, opens his trunk, and comes out with what at the time I, I thought was an Uzi, but later find out it's like a Mac 5. I don't really know the difference there. But he stands there and puts the gun up in the air and says, let him go one-on-one. -on -one. And when he does this, one of the teenagers is like, oh, that's fake. And so while he's holding the gun up in the air uh, in his best Dirty Harry way, he cocks it so it, it ejects the bullet like in slow motion, this bullet goes up in the air and then comes down. And it was like the place, it, was, it went silent. And you could hear the bullet hit the ground. Ting, 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 ting. With that, Everyone starts to scatter. You know, I run over to the guy. We start to fight. We roll around. Honestly, I don't think he was putting up much of a fight. And no sooner are we rolling around than he gets up, runs. I get up, get the girls. We go back to the room. Priest is gone. And get back to the room. We're like, what just happened? And a few minutes later, there's a knock on the door. It's the police. And so they pull me out of the room. And saying, hey, what happened tonight? And I told him, I said, listen, this kid punched me. And then I thought I was going to get jumped. And all of a sudden, this good Samaritan pulls up. He says, let him go one-on-one. -on -one. And we did. And then all hell broke loose. And here we are. So he looks at me. He's like, tell me, like, what about the gun? And I said, what? He said, yeah. And he reaches into his pocket. He pulls out this big old bullet. And I said, hmm, I don't know anything about that. Takes my information and he says, we're going to be in touch with you. The next day I had to go down to the precinct, look through all these photographs because someone had seen his Montana plates and they were under the assumption that this good Samaritan was probably affiliated with Belmont Racetrack, which is right near us, right? Of course, I didn't find the person. I, I went home, and actually, I, I never heard from them again. That was my interpretation of the whole thing. For 35 years, I've wondered, like, what was going on on uh, the priest side of things? So, of course, we're hanging out and talking. This incident came up. I, I find out that he was living in Montana. He came back to Queens for the holidays. He was staying at his mom's house, and I guess they had, had a disagreement about something, and he'd had enough, so he left home, went up to the park. I guess he was talking to someone, and they suggested, hey, you know, you should find Fitz, and maybe he could uh, get you a room at the hotel. As, as my thing was going down, Priest is pulling up in hopes of getting a room, just happens to be there at literally the exact moment 
<laughs> I needed him. I, I don't know. Was it a coincidence? I, I, have, I have no idea. It, it, was, it was funny to hear on his side of things what was going on. And again, what I thought was newsy was really uh, a different type of pretty intense gun. But long story short is after chatting with him, I mean, he's a great guy. He's definitely a, an outdoorsman. He works his ass off, and he's really done well for himself. And, you know, as I'm talking to them, I think I asked about, you know, how they had met or something. And he says at one point, in a, in a sort of a modest way, as their love story unfolded, was that when he saw that she slept with a uh, 44 Magnum under her pillow, <laughs> he knew she was the girl for him. And so, boom, here I am, off again. More to follow. One thing I learned, they have along these highways what's called truck ramps or something like that. And basically, when you're coming down these mountains and you're a trucker, and you got an 18-wheeler, whatever you're driving there, if your brakes fail, and obviously there's been a history of this, otherwise they wouldn't go out of their way to make this thing. There's these called these highway drive-off ramps. And if a truck is barreling down the mountain with no brakes, eventually they'll get to this. And what it is, it's just kind of like a quick exit. And you literally sort of drive up this dirt road, kind of going up the mountain, which naturally slow the truck down and I don't know what happens after that. It kind of backs up, back down, but that's a learning. And uh, a lot of potatoes uh, here in Idaho. I was just in a store. They had some like candy, Idaho something. I wanted to get it, but then I was also scared, so I didn't get it. All right, well, we'll stay in touch. <laughs> Love you. Music in this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. A special thanks goes out to Real Love Diplomats for providing the soundtrack to Don't Call It a Memoir.